Hello, and welcome to the Vineyard Bowling Green podcast, found exclusively on our Vineyard Bowling Green app. We hope you enjoy this week's message and look forward to seeing you this Sunday. Um, so I'm excited about this morning. I'm glad to be with you guys. And uh, today is week three of Advent, which is joy. And this year we have a theme to go along with Advent, and our theme this year is risk, okay? That's our theme this year. It is risk. And the purpose of this Advent is to connect with God. And we want to invite you into taking fresh risks with the Holy Spirit. And we are going to be looking at and using examples of true godly risk takers from the Christmas story. Amen? All right, so let's, let's go to Matthew 1, chapter 1, verse 18 through 24. And let's read this. We're going to be reading about Joseph this morning. All right, this is how the birth of Jesus the Messiah came about. His mother Mary was pledged to be married to Joseph. But before they came together, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. Okay, that's key there. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. But after he had considered this, an angel from the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, do not be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will give birth to a son, and you are to give him the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel which means God with us. When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home at his wife, as his wife. So when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him and took Mary home as his wife. So Joseph must have had some hard questions when Mary first told him what was going on about the pregnancy by the Holy Spirit. I'm sure even after the dream that God gave Joseph, there was a leap of faith that considered great risk for Joseph. Great risk for Joseph. Joseph here is a respectable man, and he had to be considered, right, for his, his reputation to a degree, right? I believe reputation is a great motivator for us. Reputation is a great motivator for us, and it drives many of our decisions. We can easily feel the pressure from our peers and from our family, and to take the risk on what others might actually think, that's a really big deal. To risk, what is everybody going to think of me, is actually a really big deal. In verse 19, it says, because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law. He was faithful to the law. As a man who is faithful to the law, Joseph wants to do the right thing and the more obvious thing and divorce her quietly. He wants to divorce her quietly. We don't know how long Joseph had to wrestle with God over Mary's news, but we, don't, but we do know that it took a dream to bring Joseph into trusting God. It took an encounter to bring Joseph into trusting God. And we've been recently discussing through small groups um, what it means to discern the Holy Spirit, right? And there are several moments I know in my life 
when my obedience to God is immediately met with the tension of what are other people going to think of me? What are other people going to think of me? What are others going to think of me can easily shape our entire life. One little decision at a time. One little approach at a time. One little thought, one little influence at a time adds up and it can shape almost our entire life off of the pressure of what are other people going to think of me. It can influence small decisions like how can I pray for this person at the store who I don't really know? What if it goes wrong? What if they say no, right? What if I call this person out of the blue and I talk to them and, I, and, and, and we're just talking in the context of conversation, right, and praying for people, right? What about like I want to pursue this career, but maybe it's not the most lucrative career and I don't want people to think that I'm not like successful or significant or important or capable of, uh, of doing great things, you know? It can absolutely shape our viewpoint on life, and it can shape our entire life from the small decisions to the big decisions. So we understand that and we get that, but make no mistake, it's absolutely a real source of power in our world. It's a real source of power in our world. What are others going to think of me? And we can potentially go to great levels of risk, great levels of commitment and loyalty to build a perception and show the world who we are. We can commit ourselves to proving to the world that we are somebody. We can take that pressure and we can use it as a tool for good. And we can take that pressure and use it as a tool. And it just controls us and it motivates us just to go out and it's us versus the world. And we're going to show the world that we're great, right? And that's not necessarily a bad thing, but it absolutely plays a role in our life. What are others going to think about me? Um, there's got to be a balance as a believer of being able to relate and successfully be a part of society, right? As believers, we need to relate. We need to be successful in our society, our community, to take responsible for our influence here on earth. We only get one shot at it. But at the same time, we cannot let it rule us. We cannot let it rule us. We can't just cut ties and say with the world either. We can't just cut ties and say, you know what? Jesus died for us and say, well, they, you know, they, they just don't get it. These people just don't get it. They don't understand it. And I'm just going to do me and I'm going to isolate and I'm not, I'm not going to really be an influence in my community. I'm not really going to be an influence to the people around me. Um, we absolutely have a role to play in this world. We absolutely have a role to play in our community. Um, the Bible is clear that we have a mission to reach people. We have a mission to reach people more than we have a mandate to isolate ourselves to prove a point. Does everybody get that? We have a mandate to reach people and be involved and be a part of our community more than we, we have a mandate to prove a point. And to say as Christians we are right and they are wrong and we're going to have this own separate life, it's just not biblical. It's just simply not biblical. But with that said, we see the power of reputation even inside of the church. We see the power of reputation inside the church that we just read about Joseph. Something as believers we have to be careful of as well is developing a tool inside the church to conform Christians into thinking smaller than God's capabilities. Okay, we see that here, right? We develop sometimes a tool inside the church to conform Christians into thinking smaller than God's capabilities. We just read that Joseph was a man of the law. And here we have Joseph, right? 
a good, reputable man, and he was labeled reputable because he knew the law. He was faithful to the law, so he had a good reputation. That was important to him. In today's vernacular, Joseph was a good, church-going man. He was honorable, God-fearing man. But here, God immediately introduces us to a shift, right? It's to a shift. It's a scandalous introduction into an uncomfortable life that is absolutely risky, and it ruins Joseph for normal. It ruins Joseph for normal. It's an introduction to scandalous grace into a life that ruins Joseph for normal. I can't help but think of Romans chapter 12, verse 2, when Paul says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Okay? Your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. And I like how Paul puts it here. He says, your mind, the renewal of your mind, giving you the responsibility to discern what is the will of God for your life. And yet as believers, we sometimes don't recognize how we as a group, how the church as a whole does have a history of doing the wrong thing here. Like I said, sometimes as believers, we develop this tool inside the church to conform Christians into thinking smaller than God's capabilities, right? And here, that's exactly what we kind of have. We have a history sometimes in the church of doing that. In the history of the church, we sometimes lose the value of grace because it's not pretty, because it's not, it's not acceptable maybe in society like it should be. Maybe perhaps it's a bit scandalous or uncomfortable or we'll mess with our reputation and replace, um, replace or steal the richness of... Um, and what happens is we, we, we really we replace and steal the richness of God's grace and make it cheap by over-calculating, again, what are people going to think? We cheapen the grace of God by saying, well, what are people going to think? We better tap on our own little, our, our curve on here as well. Because God's got this great capability, but I just, I don't like it. It should be a little bit meaner. It should be a little bit more judgmental. It should have a little more justice that suits my needs. So we're just going to stamp that on, add a little bit of God's grace, and there we go. And that's the way we move. So we limit the capabilities, Right? And I can't, I can't help but, um, but think of uh, a message that I shared a, a few weeks ago um, in, uh, in, first, in, not first John, but in John chapter 8. And I think it's so important, we're going to get to that, but, you know, so much of our life and so much in the church, the history of the church is involved in community. It's not just supposed to be just like we, we talk about it all the time, but it's not just supposed to be a... Uh, a Sunday we're here, and then Monday through Saturday, you know, we just live however we want, and Sunday we're here, and then we live Saturday. It's supposed to change us, right? It's supposed to transform us. It's supposed to make us grow into becoming more like Christ, right, and being more accepting. But I can't help but over time look at the history of of conversations in the church and just over and over again hear conversations like, well, I don't really, I, I can't reach out to that person, Right? How would I relate? What are other people going to think, right? I, I, I can't be kind to the, to the, to the enemy, right? What, what are other people going to think? What kind of message am I going to send, 
right? What am I doing here? We see that Jesus here was all about scandalous grace from birth and still today, right? A grace that shattered the reputation of perfect religious people, faithful people to the law. And being part and being able to see the world through God's eyes is being able to remove the blinders, the stigmas, the stereotypes, and the I'm better than you mentality so I don't want to participate in your life. And we've had this long history of doing that in the church. We've had this long history. And we have to be comfortable risking our reputation like Jesus and like Joseph. Now, back to John chapter 8, the woman caught in adultery. Um, I shared a message on this a couple weeks ago. For context, there's a woman caught in the act of adultery. She is standing before religious leaders and Jesus, and they want to stone her, right? Not Jesus. The religious leaders want to stone her. Uh, And Jesus offers mercy. He offers love. And then a charge to what? To go and sin no more. So he offers mercy, love, grace, but then also he offers us right, he offers righteousness to go and sin no more. And I talked about a few reasons why this is a rare experience for so many, a rare tangible experience at least for so many here. Um, just in our, just just in, you know, on earth here, to be sitting alone with Jesus in that space, feeling so much relief from guilt, um, from shame, and it's really empowering. It's really empowering. And I said it's because we lose faith in the truth. We don't give God complete permission sometimes to do what he's capable of doing. The opportunity for his fullness, for his mercy, for his righteousness to be experienced because we lose faith in the truth. The truth being that here we see it. Jesus chose mercy over justice. That's what we saw in the, in the story of the woman caught in adultery. Jesus chose mercy over justice. Or perhaps he redefined what justice is. And I think that's it. Right? Here justice is not necessarily about punishment from our viewpoint. But if the point of justice is to curve people or to nudge people into doing the right thing and using that as an example, perhaps justice in God's eyes is the situation is not public, uh, it is not public punishment, but rather it's submission to righteousness. Okay, perhaps justice in God's eyes in this situation here with the woman caught in adultery is not public punishment, but rather it's submission to righteousness. And the only real way to truly encounter the righteousness of God is by experiencing God in love and not God in fear. God in love and not God in fear. But you always hear growing up that faith is believing without seeing, meaning we have confidence in the results of something, right? In the results of something, whether it's guaranteed or not. And despite the truth of Jesus in this story of the woman caught in adultery, and despite the church is supposed to mirror the response of Jesus, When it comes to our sin, we have more confidence and we are more confident and almost guarantee an outcome of embarrassment and shame, right? More than we have confidence that we will see our fellow believers stand with us in patience and kindness 
in love, in grace. We expect people to be holding stones in their hands rather than experiencing grace, love, compassion, and mercy, and a charge to go sin no more. So we put more faith in the disapproval of others And we worry about what others are going to think so much. We don't really allow ourselves to experience, to encounter our forgiveness, God's compassion, God's patience, grace, and love, even though it doesn't change the fact that it's absolutely there, right? God's grace is there, whether we receive it or whether we accept it or whatever. It's there. We can't do anything about it. We can just help receive it more, right? And we just don't fully receive it because we would rather have justice over mercy in most cases, if it's not us. We'd rather have justice over mercy, for other people especially. We put more on the line for our reputation. We conform to the power of a perfect reputation. We fear the stone throwers more. We fear the lies, the gossip, our reputation, more than we have the confidence in each other providing a safe place of repentance, a safe place of experiencing a new life with the Holy Spirit. The law was full of stone throwers. The law was full of stone throwers. That's the reason why Joseph was worried and afraid. Right? Here we have Mary and Joseph, and they were risking a lot. Right? She was pregnant. They were not married. And Joseph was tempted into doing the right thing. Right? Let the law take care of it. My reputation is on the line. I'm worried about these stones. Let's let the law take care of it. I don't know what to do here. But God introduces the wildest plan. From our viewpoint, probably not the best plan or the smartest plan or the plan that gets the best results, right? And shakes things up a bit and ruins the whole perfectly pretty little package of the Messiah coming to earth. Okay, Emmanuel, God with us, and it's not very pretty. It's scandalous, and it takes great risk. It's humbling, and I can imagine that if if we would have been there at the time, it would have even been hard to see and believe. I think it would have been really hard to see and believe if we were there in the time, if you were living in those times. And there is no doubt in my mind that this tension that Joseph was living in, this fear, this doubt, this anxiety, this risk that Joseph took, this tension was stealing the joy from this awesome opportunity. How many have ever had a lot of anxiety over a situation and you're like, just as soon as I find out about this or I get through this, As soon as I just do this one thing or get get past this one object or whatever it is, you just, you excel. And you're like, gosh. I'm sure that that, um, Joseph was feeling that, right? Except it was something that was always gonna be there. See, I think that joy comes from God. The joy that comes from God is something that usually comes in waves and in opportunity almost like someone competing for an endurance race. Um, I was riding in a century one time, and that's a bike race. It's about 100 miles long. 
and they had these little checkpoints for food. They had these little checkpoints for water and for stretching, etc. And these little stations were strategically placed for the riders. And the person who put these 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 little tents and these little stations um, had obviously done the course before because he knew all of the best spots. He knew where these things needed to be. And there were several times that I thought I was knocking on death's door in this race. I thought it was it. I thought it was the end. And like a mirage in the desert, you see the little tent and you're like, thank God. Thank God. And so I would take water and you know, I would eat a little something, I would stretch, I'd sit in the shade for just a second. I would take these little strategic breaks to gather my energy, um, to gather my thoughts, and uh, get back on the bike. Maybe cry a little bit. Um, and when I think of joy in life, I believe it's something we always have. And it's something that we, we have to choose to keep, though. I think it's something that's always there, but it's something that we have to choose to keep. But I also think that there are moments in life when God replenishes us with great joy. I think it's something that's always there. It's something we always have, and we have to choose to keep it. We have to choose to participate with it. But I think that there are absolutely times in our life when God replenishes us with great joy. We just have to be willing to stop and let him give it to us. There have been moments in my life when I was going through a funk, trying to figure things out, and I had a good job, was married, going on seven years. Loved my friends, loved my church, but there was just, I knew that there was more to enjoy in my life. I knew that I was missing some joy. And so I kept my emotions and my thoughts to myself, and I didn't really talk to anyone about it. And I thought it was pretty normal to hit this part in your life. I thought where I was at was normal. Um, you know, I was surrounded by people I loved, and, and I knew loved me. You know, I had great friends, great family, but I was still missing that life of, of joy. And um, I started to look at myself and think, the joy is here. I just don't know how to receive it. I'm the one that's messed up. But I also knew that that wasn't really true too because I was searching, I was praying. I was like, I want it badly, Lord. What is going on? But I realized that something was missing in my identity. That there was something that I really haven't tapped into yet and I didn't really know what it was. And we talked about identity a little bit last week, but I was very confused. I was in this funk, right? Jasmine and I were doing it right, right? We, we, we loved each other. We were living life in full. Um, I knew it wasn't my marriage. I knew it wasn't my child because Liam was definitely in that cute stage then before he turned three and turned into a little monster. Um, I still love him. Um, I'm just, just kidding. And, uh, Julia can relate. And, uh, Three-year-olds can be little turds. And, uh, and, and here I was, you know, I knew I was called to pastor and all this stuff. And I just looked around and thought, and I couldn't point and pinpoint to what it was, right? I couldn't pinpoint to what it was. It was just something that was unsettled inside of me, something that I knew was missing. And there was this little bit of tension in my life of not allowing this joy to settle in. And I figured out what it was, and it was community. Um, growing up in the church and being a pastor's kid, I saw the unfortunate side uh, of, of church really take away a lot, of, um, a lot of things from my family. And this isn't a pity party. My parents love pastoring. They love their church. I love pastoring, love my church. I love being a pastor's kid for the most part. But I was guarded 
from allowing real friends in my life. And I didn't know that. I wasn't even aware of that. And I realized one day that I guarded myself from real community. And I realized that here I am feeling this tension in my life of not really experiencing joy. And what came to me were a few people in my life that were able to remind me of who I am called to be. Right? I started to open myself up to, to like friendships a little bit more. And it, these guys reminded me of who I'm called to be and reminded me to take risks and to not worry. This was the key thing, to not worry about what other people thought of me. That was crucial in my development for joy, was not to worry about what other people thought of me, to be confident in my identity and to not worry about my reputation in a way that silenced God's will for my life. My, what I was kind of worried about and when I was thinking about what are other people going to think, I was limiting God's capabilities as soon as I go into the direction, well, what are other people going to think? And then I started to cut off faith a little bit and limit, and I get back in control. What are other people going to think? What are people going to think? So you start making different calculations and you start making different turns, and next thing you know, you've missed out on something maybe really, really, really great. I was shaping my life by the opinions or the comparison of others. I was living by the principles, do what others expect of you. And that messed with me a little bit. It messed with my identity a little bit because it wasn't mine. And it made me feel like I was on the outside looking in on friendships and getting close to people. And you see, Joseph was ruled by the fear of man. Joseph was, was, was used to being ruled by the fear of man. There was a culture that Joseph experienced and was part of for a long time that developed an instinct and a reaction to fear God's will. And it caused him to pause to God's greatest gift to humanity. It caused him to pause at God's greatest gift to humanity. And it's shocking to really look at it this way, but a religious fear and a culture of fear created by religious law, influenced by reputation, that almost robbed Joseph from experiencing the greatest gift to mankind. Matthew 1.20 says, we, we, re, we read that an angel appears to Joseph in a dream. And in verse 24, we read, when Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord commanded him. And I'm sure Joseph still had moments of fear that he had to shake off. I'm sure he still had moments of fear. I'm sure he still had moments of doubt. I'm sure he still had moments of disbelief to deal with. But I'm also sure that he lived his life with great hope, with great peace, and with great joy. And for some, maybe God does show up in a dream and Gabriel appears out of nowhere and just gives you a direct answer. Good for you. That's awesome. It hasn't happened to me yet. But perhaps, like for me, the power of God showed up for me in community, in friendships, in conversations, staying up too late talking about God, talking about life, talking about music, talking about sports. I mentioned earlier that the tents at the bike race I participated in, they were stationed about every 15 to 25 miles. And I was on mile 50, and I hadn't stopped yet. And... Uh, and I was in the front. I'm just kidding. I was not at all. And, uh, and as I approached the tent, another person passed me and said, 
You don't have to stop. Embrace the suck. Seriously. Still remember that because you don't have to stop. Embrace the suck. And I'll never forget that for several reasons. But um, I saw that guy two more times. The first time was when I passed him again after stopping. And the second time was when he passed me in a truck with his bike in the truck because he quit. Um, he made the race much harder and much slower and impossible. And it didn't have to be that way. He made it much harder than it had to be. And he made it impossible for him because he quit. And he didn't have to. Life itself is going to be hard. The race is hard. And we can make it harder when we don't allow the gifts, like Will was talking about, of joy that surrounds us each day. There's an interesting story from Florida, believe it or not. Florida. That's where everything crazy happens. Uh, but this is actually the rare good story from Florida about some hunters. All right, These guys were hunting pigs. And the most people would get on a hunt was two or three at a time. In fact, the largest trophy that they had um, was four at this particular um, ranch or whatever little place where they were hunting. But a young guy came in, and this is a true story. A young guy came in and said, I can get more than four pigs. And they're kind of like, okay, we hear that all the time. And he's like, I can, there wasn't a limit. That's just typically what people got. And he said, I, or that's the largest that people got. Typically they got two or three. And he said, I can get more than four. I have a great idea. How many people hang around with Leon right now, my son? He's always like, I have a great idea. And that's usually, a, whatever, it's usually a three-year-old idea. But, um, and they were like, um, they're like, well, what are you going to do? So he put corn out, which was allowed. You were allowed to put corn out. You are allowed to bait them. And he put that corn in the middle of a meadow. And all the pigs started eating the corn. But if you tried to get close enough in order to shoot them, they would smell you or hear you and then take off. But every day, he built one side of a fence. Each day. He built one side of the fence, then another side, leaving the section open always for the pigs to get in. And then each day he started bringing that in a little bit closer and a little bit closer and a little bit closer. Eventually the pigs got to where they recognized his scent and he brought them in a little bit closer. And eventually he shut the gate and he captured over 600 pigs. 600 pigs without firing a shot. And the point of this is don't be like the pigs. Don't be like the pigs. The question is, what is closing in on you? You just don't realize it. You don't understand it and you don't see it coming. Are you the one that one day is going to look around and realize that you've been trapped and you lack real joy and you don't know why and you don't understand it? Everything we've gone over this morning absolutely relates and contributes to waking up to that one day and going, I'm missing this joy. I'm feeling the tension of whatever it is, especially in reputation. Because when Jesus came into the world, he absolutely shattered those fences and let the little pigs run free. But what happened that annoyed people and caused more problems for people is that it, it was, it was, there was less order, right? There was less control. There was more chaos. And it's not you moving the fences out. It's the world moving the fences in. But Joseph understood the cost of breaking free from the world that he knew. 
He understood what it meant to take that risk and break free from the world that he knew, to shatter those fences that were closing in and followed the will of God in order to experience the true freedom through obedience. But it takes great risk to run free. Those kids are running free up there. It takes great risk to run free and it takes great discernment to know that you are running in the right direction. And so discernment usually comes from the Holy Spirit, but it also comes from, like we've been talking about in small groups, having great community, people to talk to. Joseph received an encounter from an angel, confirmation to what Mary had received. But maybe it's an encounter like that that's there for you, or maybe it's finding the will of God for your life through conversations and friendships and praying together and talking with, us, with each other. Community and friendships gave me permission to think bigger for myself. And you don't always have to embrace the hard parts of life alone. You don't have to. So stop, get a drink of water, get some fuel, and the joy of the Lord is in those moments.